Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Andy Brown from London, and you're listening to the absolutely fabulous Tennis Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Andy from London. A wonderful intro to our show today. And uh, if you would like to be introducing a show in 2022, you can do so when we launch uh, our next round of crowdfunding. I say crowdfunding, it's all going to be a bit different this next time. Uh, we'll tell you about that next week. Oh, a tease, David. <laughs> 30 seconds into the pod. Yeah. <laughs> However, uh, rest assured, we will still be doing shout-outs, we'll still be doing intros, we'll still be doing pet mascots, all the rest of it. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want to have a reminder when we launch all of that in early December, uh, go to our show notes and you can uh, you can have a link there and we'll send you a reminder if you stick your email address in. But anyway, thank you to Andy, uh, because it is at the stage where the WTA Finals semi-finals are complete. And that's why we're back, Matt, because we've had uh, we've had a few days. I have to say, I don't know about you, I'm slightly struggling to keep across when we're supposed to do podcasts at the moment because we, we wake up to two matches having played at the WTA Finals and then two hours later after we've recorded the podcast, the ATP Finals starts in Turin. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. We've, you know, we've spent about half an hour this morning just trying to work out when we should record podcasts. <laughs> uh, so every other day is more or less the plan. But it's, uh, yeah, it's messing with my mind thank goodness we got yours as backup yeah there, there are very few windows in the day to actually record a podcast when there's not tennis happening because because yeah. of the two time zones but yes every other day we will be here for the rest of this week covering yes. both events okay well right well we'll start with the wta finals and let you know what the semi-finals lineup is and it is going to be garbini magarutha against paola badossa and it is going to be Maria Sakkari against Annette Contivate. We will tell you about everything that went on over overnight and on the night before in those matches in just a minute. But before that, I've just got to draw your attention to some sorcery from Matt Roberts in our <laughs> newsletter. We we do like to blow our own trumpets here on Tennis Podcast when we get something right. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to, and it's such a rare occurrence <laughs> in my case uh, that I take every advantage when I can. Uh, but this from Matt is quite extraordinary. Uh, in the last newsletter, 
from a few days ago, just before the WCA finals took place, started up. Uh, Matt wrote a WCA finals preview in the newsletter, and he wrote the following. The four players I think will reach the semi-finals are Paola Badosa, Maria Sakkari, Annette Konzevet, and Garbinia Magarutha. I mean, <laughs> what? Frankly, it, it all feels like guesswork until we see how they adapt to the conditions. Well, not guesswork for you, <laughs> but I've gone with players who I think can battle through hardship. I'm also hoping that Bedosa and, in particular, Muguruza, with her Latin American roots, not South American, David, feed off the crowd's support and energy. I mean... <laughs> Nailed it. That's... It's as, as though you've cheated or something. As so you've come back from the future and just sort of done the newsletter with not with with complete hindsight. I mean, newsletter readers will know that I am last in our predictions competition for the year. I've had a shocker. I mean, I've not got one right for months, and I've and the irony is I've made four predictions here, got them all right, don't get any points for them whatsoever. Mm. Um, but. Do you know, I mean, often I look at a WTA draw and I have absolutely no idea what is going to happen. I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight. I actually felt fairly confident about those predictions, just given where Krejcikova was, given how where Sabalenka was. Pliskova, I didn't think, would really relish these conditions. And Sviontek was a real unknown. I, I wasn't sure. I almost put Sviontek in, I suppose. But... Yeah, I, I, I think we've had some good matches. We've had some exciting matches, but it it has panned out how I thought it would. Amazing, amazing. We, we, we've reached that stage with it being the final group stage of the WTA finals where you get that kind of all or nothing feel to the matches. I, When it was Sakari against Sambalenka last night and it was winner take all, the winner goes into the semis, the loser goes home, you cannot avoid that match. You cannot... You need to rearrange your life in order to see that match. Whereas the other one, Badossa against Sviantec, with everybody knowing that Badossa was already qualified and Sviantec couldn't qualify, I didn't even bother watching that. I don't know what happened. I mean, I know it was seven five six four. I didn't watch it. It was an irrelevance, really, uh, in terms of what goes on. Uh, is that how you feel? I mean, it, or, or, or do you do you just watch them all anyway if you can? I would have watched it if there was nothing else on, but of course, with the ATP finals happening at the same time, I ended up watching Sitsipas uh, <laughs> Rublev, which was on at exactly the same time last night. That's infuriating. Ex- I mean, both of them starting at eight o'clock UK time. Yeah, I know. It just sort it out. Um, but yes, yeah, so no, I, I didn't watch Balosa Sviontek either. I know. You know, it, it was. I think it was Badosa's birthday, wasn't it? And she was in this awkward position of knowing she was through and knowing that her match was the next day, her semi-final. No, no day off. So, I think from the sound of things, it was quite a physical match. You know, the second set in particular was there was some grueling games in it. But I think you know, not the worst thing in the world for Badosa that it didn't get stretched to to three sets. Physically, yes. But I always think this is a really tough position for the oh, player yeah. who's won two and is through already. We've seen it so many times in London at the ATP finals where and you've got this player who's coming out and 
I remember Nadal once being in this position and there's no chance he's going to be able to mm. kind of give a sort of 75% effort, is there? <laughs> you know, I mean, do you remember that one where I think Andy Murray played a couple of times in the, the third rubber, having already qualified, and then just the the competitive juice is kicking in and him just absolutely destroying himself ahead of the semifinals <laughs> that he'd already qualified for? Yeah, it, it's... It's not an ideal situation, is it? And actually, we had a little bit of it in Muguruza Contivate. Um Contivate was already through. The interesting thing there was Muguruza had to win that match to get through to the semifinals. Um, so there was something on the line. But I think I said in, in the last pod, I wonder how Contivate is going to handle that, you know, because suddenly this is a match without any pressure on, where she's been playing matches with loads of pressure on for months. And... Very notably, her performance dipped. It was the worst match she's played for weeks. You know, without that need to win, it's kind of impossible to give your absolute best. But yeah, it's it's the problem with round robin, frankly. Hmm. Yeah, uh, which is, you know, we've given it a bit of a big up this week because we had a, the good side of it early on when Svantec lost early and, and uh, then got her chance and Sabalenka as well and then their chance to really show what they're made of in the next match and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, last night was was the last two nights not great, really. I mean, there have been some highlights which we'll get on to. But I mean, just to cover off what else went on, Carolina Pliskova, what a sentence this is. <laughs> Carolina Pliskova lost the first set six love, so that actually made it two consecutive six love sets that she'd lost because Pliskova had lost the the, the second set in her match against uh, Kontovet, the the previous round robin match as well. And then she came back and she beat Barbara Krikachikova. So she's won love six and then won the next two sets. But both of them were eliminated. <laughs> so <laughs> what a waste of time that was. Loving <laughs> round robin, honestly. Yeah, it was, it was sort of the worst of Pliskova in the first set. You know, not even moving her feet and losing six love. And then the best of her, she fought with everything she had to give herself a chance to qualify. She had to win. She did win. And then Muguruza went and won in the evening anyway, so her comeback was was in vain against Krejcikova, and they were both eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> I can kind of relate to Pliskova not bothering to move her feet. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I play tennis once a week, and if I can reach a ball just by leaning over and extending one of my long arms... Which you can, normally. I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bother moving my feet. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk about the, the one match that really had something on it, the winner-take-all match last night between Maria Sakkari and Arena Sabalenka. And, I mean, it wasn't great all the way through by any means. It was it, the third set. I mean, they shared the first two sets on tie breaks now Sabalenka led both of those sets with a break of serve so really she will have regrets she really should have won the the match overall but in the third set which Sakari eventually ended up winning it was just a nerve fest error strewn and whoever could just handle it quite honestly well what what was your take from it was I mean, you, you've obviously said in, at the outset that you thought Sakari would would reach that stage and, and reach the semi-finals. But given what happened in match two for Sabalenka, did you think maybe we might see another 
turn of events in this particular match. Yeah, I did actually. I thought Sabalenka might carry that momentum that she'd found in in the second match against Sviantek into this one. Um, she had a very good head-to-head record against Sakari coming into this. I think she'd won all four of their matches, including a couple of absolute thrashings in their most recent meetings. But it feels like one step back, sorry, one step forward, two steps back for Sabalenka, to be honest, this tournament. She really got it together against Sviantek. And this match was, well, it was a mess, really, wasn't it, from her? I mean, she served for the first set, as you said. She lost it. She had a set point, didn't take it. She had multiple double faults in the tie break and lost that first set. She then served for the second set twice and got broken both times. Eventually won it in a tie break. And just when you think she's got the momentum going into the deciding set, and she's up a break, in fact, in the deciding set, she hits 10 double faults in that third set. 19 in the match altogether. Just 19? Just all over the place with her serve. Um, And... It was a, it was a sort of familiar tale really for her. She she she's got the game. She absolutely has the game. She's in a winning position. She just cannot keep it together in these sort of high pressure situations. And Sakari, we spoke about the other day, being at her most dangerous. I think when she's behind in the score, and the way the match unfolded kind of suited her, I suppose, because she was behind. She then had these real spurts in the match where she got back into it and just in the end that was enough to sort of take her over the line so yeah I I suppose I was a bit surprised that Sabalenka didn't finish it off considering she was in that position but then history tells us that Sabalenka can do that Hmm. yeah oh well it was it was great scenes at the end though I think for Sakari I always find myself drawn to her when she's either struggling or whether she's getting over the line she just because she lets you in she she doesn't leave anything hidden in terms of how she's feeling about things and and i i end up really feeling her emotions and pain and and suffering and then joy when she when she manages to succeed and she came into the press comments afterwards really really good interesting press comments and and she was kind of asked about the progress she's made and and the fact that she's amongst these eight players now and that she's in this company and that she's been you know if you think back she was a point away from the French Open final and mm. and that really hurt her at the time and she she admitted that the stress just got to her too much in the moment and she thinks she'd be better next time then she came and had a good run at the US Open and here she is in the final eight and now she's made the semi-finals of the of this big tournament, the the WTA finals, and that can get to people, can't it? Some people can get imposter syndrome and feel like they just don't belong in this company. And she she made a point of that. She said, I, "I'm getting more used to it. I'm getting more used to the fact that I sort of belong here amongst these players." Um, just by playing them more often, it's it's becoming more second nature to me. And the the other thing I found very interesting an answer about her fitness and she she didn't describe fitness as just something that you need as a base position in order to be a competitive tennis player she she talked about it as a weapon she talked about it as she says I'm not trying to be big-headed but I think I am probably one of the fittest players on the tour and the other players know that I can keep going and that I and that if it's three four five hours I'll still be there and and 
to be honest, I think it can be quite intimidating for them, mm. she said. And I found that a really great analysis of, of what I think is the case um, and, and a great way of looking at it from her perspective. Yeah, totally. That That's certainly how I view it for Zachary. You know, if, if a match is deep and physical and I, I back Zachary because of that and it's cool to know that she backs herself and that she probably thinks that yeah, it, it can intimidate other players. I was also reading about uh, Paula Badosa, who we've obviously talked about a lot this year, having made a lot of improvements. I think we spoke the other day about the sort of mental improvements she's made. I was reading an article on El País in, in Spanish where she's been working with a with a guy called David Antona, who, who's a Spanish high jump champion. And they've been working together for about a year and he said that she's really improved physically and how that can feed into your mental state. You know, sort of if you've got confidence in your physical capability onto court, that just makes you feel better on the court, gives you confidence in yourself. And I think we've seen that with Badosa a lot this year. I think we see it with Zachary as well, with her physical ability. I, I'm, I'm sure um, Larry Stefanki said something similar in, in your interview with him about the sort of importance of being physically strong and taking yeah. that onto the court. That's something he really worked on with all of his players. And, you know, in in, in Badossa's case, this this guy, David Antona, said said he thinks that she's at about 25% of her potential just because they've only been doing it for a year. You know, if she keeps working at this level for a few more years, she's going to be even better. So and I think Zachary is probably right at the peak now. She, she is what I sort of view as the absolute top in, in women's tennis. And it's, I think it's great that she talks like that and has that confidence in herself. Mm. And it's big, this particular win, because she lost her last four matches against Sabalenka. And, and I'd seen a couple of those. And I think particularly because Zachary these days wants to impose herself on a player, she was ending up rushed against the sheer velocity of shot coming towards her by Sabalenka. She didn't have time to exert herself. Well, she managed that this time. And uh, there's, there's a couple of... Anki Othavong in commentary pointed this out, that there's, there's a great camera angle that they're using just occasionally, proper court level behind one, one of the players. And, you, and when you were behind Sakari, you saw just how much ground she was having to cover and at what pace and what reaction speed she required in order to deal with the shots coming at her from from Sabalenka another absolutely capacity crowd great atmosphere Guadalajara just a fantastic success in mm. terms of uh image and and an experience and the way it's coming across I think oh I think so exactly the vibes you want for the sort of well, it's the showpiece event of the WTA Tour, really, yeah. isn't it? You, you know, want it, you want people to like look it. like they're they're so chuffed to be there and that it counts and it matters and that this is a big deal and that's what that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, completely. And I think it's it's been great that it's not just been the Muguruza matches where that has happened. I think those are the ones that have really stood out. She she put on a Mexico shirt after she'd beaten Contivate and the crowd were chanting her name and you know she's obviously spoken about how at home she feels there and sort of in tune with her surroundings. But every night session match, it's been like that. And actually, as you pointed out, over the weekend, it was like that for the day session as well. So really, really good, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, agreed. Uh, so that means we have semi-finals, which are actually today, aren't they? Tonight, as we as we talk to you right now, and uh, we're going to have in the afternoon session. It's going to be uh, Garbinia Magarutha up against Paula Badosa, and then the night session is Annette Contavet against Maria Sakkari. Ooh. Fascinating, isn't it? I mean, Badosa against Muguruza. Who's the crowd going for in that? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll be with Muguruza, but it's fascinating, isn't it? There's this real connection between both players, obviously both Spanish, but also both born in the Americas, but also in New York and Muguruza in, in Venezuela. They both, I think, developed their tennis in Barcelona. And then here they are playing the finals in Mexico and sort of there's this feeling I think among the Spanish press that they're sort of following in the footsteps of Conchita Martinez and her anxious anxious Vicario who were sort of at so many events in tandem together um, and I think Badosa has spoken about Muguruza leading the way for this sort of modern generation of Spanish players but also being burdened by being called the next Muguruza when she won mm. Roland Garros Juniors I think in 2015 so dealing with that expectation was not easy um, it, it guarantees Spain a first finalist here since Arantxa Sanchez Vicario. And that was 1993, the year Muguruza was born. So it's just all these sort of wonderful, wonderful connections. Um, I think I think the crowd probably just will be pulling for Muguruza. But I can't back out of my prediction now. And I think I think Badosa gets it done. Mm. Okay, then, Soothsayer. What about Conservate uh, against Zachary? Who's winning that? Because, I mean, they've played a lot. They, I, they I think have. this is the first meeting for, for Badosa and Muguruza, mm. but it's the 12th meeting between Conservate and Zachary. And Zachary was saying, we've been playing each other since juniors as well. I mean, all, we came all the way through futures, juniors, and it's 6-5 to Zachary. I mean, it's quite, quite a head-to-head, that. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting parts of it is not many, of the, not many of the matches have been close. You know, they've always, pretty much, always been straight sets. I think for one player, um, gosh, Zachary. Based on, I mean, she clearly feels fine in the matchup. She leads the head-to-head. Contavet's um, a new player now. She is. I just, I, I'm, I'm swayed by this idea of momentum and. Contavet. I agree. Contivate having hers curtailed with that match against Muguruza and Sakari carrying in the momentum from last night. Um, and she's got to recover physically, but everything we've just spoken about, I back her to do that. Yeah. And also night session, she, I, I don't think Contivate liked those conditions, whereas Sakari, I think, got used to them as, as the match went on. Got an extra day, hasn't she, Contivate, the way things mm. play out because she's in the other group. Um, but... I think that that's the factor that that strikes me. I, I saw Dmitry Tursunov, her coach, just in the corner, in the shadows, watching Sabalenka and Sakari. Probably didn't really want Sabalenka to know too much about him being there because <laughs> they used to be a uh, a coaching player thing, didn't they? But I just feel like she was really getting frustrated, conservating that match. I, I didn't watch all of it, but I, but I, I saw she was just sort of. Un- unable to understand why her shots were missing and I think when you've when you've been on a run like that there must be that feeling that well this has got to come to an end sometime that's what I'll be thinking <laughs> okay you know I've, I've won 20 in a row you know I mean I'm surely I'm not gonna this isn't gonna last forever is it and uh well it it, it, it just 
I wonder whether that just maybe rattled uh, Jada a bit, but uh, I, I would go for Zachary as well, and I would go for, I've said Badosra will win the whole thing, so um, yeah. We're in agreement, David. Yeah, who'd have thought it? So guaranteed Muguruza Conteve final. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sticking with you now that you just get, get things like that <laughs> newsletter right. By the way, the next newsletter will be going out after the WTA finals has concluded, so we'll get our uh, ATP finals predictions in sort of, I guess we'll be in final group stage match time at that point when, when the newsletter goes out. But uh, in the newsletter, in sorry, in our show notes, you'll you'll find the uh, the newsletter link uh, if you want to sign up. And uh, yeah, you can get that every single week. And Matt will just tell you exactly what's going to happen at every <laughs> single stage of the tennis year. He's, he's shaking his head. Uh, right, what about the doubles semi-finals? We've got Barbara Krachikova, who somehow has gone all the way from the Billie Jean King Cup to Mexico and has managed to get herself through to the semi-finals and yet to lose a match alongside uh, Katarina Siniakova up against Nicole Melikar and Demi Schur. And then the other semi-final is Shea Suwei and Elise Mertens against Ayayama and Shibahara, um, who are in the semi-finals as well. Yes, that's the top four seeds, in fact. So right. the singles is, I think, seeds four and then six, seven and eight. It's sort of the lower half of the seeds and the doubles is the complete opposite. It's, it's the top four. No, so I think that's going to be a heck of a lineup in the semi-finals uh, for the doubles. So we'll keep a, a good close eye on that as well. Um, and we will bring to you what happens in our post WTA finals show on Thursday morning. We'll wrap up all the semis and the finals in our show on Thursday morning UK time. That's when we're planning to record it in a couple of days time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com tennis. 
That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. As I said, we are having to also keep an eye on what's going on in the ATP finals. So basically, Matt and I are watching tennis around the clock, apart from the seven hours sleep that we try to get of a night time. Uh, let's be honest, could be worse. Not the worst way to spend your time. Uh, Catherine, incidentally is spending about 14 hours a day in the TV studio. Also not the worst thing in the world to be doing. <laughs> and a splendid job she's doing as well. Uh, she's watching and covering uh, the ATP finals in Turin. First impressions, Matt, what do you think of the event, its staging, the the, the way the matches have gone so far? We've had uh, all the, the first group stage matches, haven't we? Yeah, I think the crowds have been really good, haven't they? I think it's it's about 60% capacity that they're allowed, but it seems that they're absolutely at that. I mean, they've been really impressive crowds and the matches have been okay. You know, I, th- I think we'll get, I think we'll get onto them in more detail. My initial impression was I was a bit disappointed when I saw it for the first time, just because it looked and felt exactly the same as London. And I was hoping that they would use this opportunity to refresh and revitalize the event a little bit more. I'm, you know, selfishly, I loved having it in London, of course, but I'm definitely of the opinion that this event should move around. And I think you should embrace that it moves around and add a bit of local flavor to it. You know, London looked different to Shanghai, which looked different to Houston, which looked different to Lisbon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can understand why they would want to take the best elements from London, you know, and in many ways, it's I suppose it's good that they're not too proud to recognise that that was a success and they've copied other elements as well, haven't they, with the two sessions and everything. But I don't know, even the fact that they're still playing heroes after each victory, I mean, that that felt out of date in London about five years ago and yet they've just carried on with it in Italy. I just think a little bit more thought and imagination into making it feel like a new venue would have been cool david bowie out today i mean i love the guy <laughs> love the song <laughs> please don't come at me but <laughs> thought i'd better say it <laughs> um yeah i know what you mean uh, i i think i suppose there's a branding element to it isn't yeah. there you know this tournament is meant to have a brand and a look that's what they've managed to create in London, moving on from the years when it was in New York at Madison Square Garden and then in Frankfurt and Hanover, uh, and it was enormously successful in Germany there. And, and then it moved through. I, I think it changed hands too many times when it went to Lisbon and then Houston and then uh, uh, where else? Sydney for a year, and, and then it was in Shanghai. I, I, I didn't think that was a vintage period, although I loved it when it was in Lisbon for the one year. I remember the atmosphere there was just extraordinary. But what it did in London is it, it established itself again, like in the in the old Germany and New York days. Um, and I suppose I can understand why they would want to just recreate the brand and, and have you turn on the TV and know exactly what the event is. But I do feel that... Yeah, I, I, I'd like to see some more local feel to it. And I, I dare say that they will build on that. And, and part of it is to is to run the event and get feedback, do the yeah. market research and see what people thought. Yeah, and the final year of London 
was a bit different to the first year, wasn't it? You know, they changed the times of the matches because that was an issue in the first year with the with fans missing the last tube home or whatever. So I, I'm no doubt they will make some tweaks and improvements. But yeah, I mean, that was just my initial impression watching mm. it. I, I was expecting it to feel a bit different and it just felt like yes. they'd plonk the, exactly the same thing just into it. Including the O2. It, I mean, the, the stadium yes. feels exactly and looks exactly the same. Um, but anyway, I mean, it is a spectacular sight still. Uh, Match-wise, we've had four of them and Medvedev has beaten her catch, 6-7, It took Medvedev a, a little while to, to get to grips with things and I think her catch played exceptionally well in that first set. But then, I don't know, I, I slightly got the sense that he suddenly thought, oh, where am I? Look at this. I'm at the ATP finals. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, Medvedev just took over. Um, and then we had uh, a really sad sight with Matteo Berrettini being forced to retire after the most spellbinding set of tennis against Alexander Zverev when they really, they really butted heads. And the atmosphere was incredible for Berrettini. It took me back, actually, to the first time I ever went to the Foro Italico in Rome. And ironically, it was uh, Berrettini's coach, uh, Santa Padre. What's his first name? Is it Vincenzo Santa Padre? Um, who was playing on an outside court. And you could hear him at the other end of the entire <laughs> site. You know, when he won a point, it was like somebody had scored a goal in the World Cup final every point. And uh, by the way, I went to uh, Vincenzo Santa Padre's restaurant. Uh, I think his dad owns a, a restaurant in Rome. And oh my word, that's one of the best restaurants I'd ever been to. Uh, anyway, side note: Berrettini, the noise when he was winning points was was incredible, and Zverev's points won were greeted with silence. Um, so that was quite comical as a stark difference. But then, after Zverev won that first set, Berrettini quite quickly strained an abdominal muscle of some kind i don't think he, he's not actually pulled out the event yet has he but i mean he's not going to be able to play surely not surely with an abdominal not. strain i mean he did he did that in if you remember at the start of the year didn't he when he'd had that great win over Hatchinov, and then he, he in the third set of that he pulled his stomach muscle and he managed to get through the match but he couldn't play his his next one he was out for months wasn't he i think he yeah. didn't that was in the australian open i think he returned in april um I cannot see how he plays. I mean, obviously, the silver lining for the event is that Yannick Sinner is is the first alternate, so there would be another Italian coming in. But it's it's a massive shame for Berrettini, and he was mm. he was crushed in his press conference, wasn't he? he? Called it, I think, the worst day he's ever had on on court, and you know, it it had the potential to be one of the absolute best in that atmosphere. He was he was playing really well in the first set, so so a massive massive shame for him and and also for the event. Um, I think one of the differences to London actually, that sort of a subtle difference, but makes a difference in the matches, is the court speed being really quite fast. And I thought that was a factor in the Herkac Medvedev match. There weren't many rallies. There wasn't that much jeopardy, I suppose, in the match. I don't think Medvedev faced a break point. I think he converted the only two he had and look I, I quite like a, a fast hard court I think generally I, I I quite enjoy it but some interesting comments from Medvedev afterwards saying that he felt actually it would be more enjoyable if the court was a bit slower because you would get longer He's rallies. Happy, is he? <laughs> um, I do wonder whether that's 
just you know he he would prefer it being a bit slower um you know we saw how good he is in somewhere like paris where it's where it's slow but you know i i do think we're not going to be short of rallies this tournament you know they move so well they defend so well i think that was a match-up thing medvedev hercatch i'm not sure we're going to get that many other times we're not going to be starved of rallies and i think if it does encourage players to use some variety come forward then then i'm here for a slightly faster hard court he was complaining about paris being too slow was he yeah <laughs> so he can't hit winners oh jeez. anyway uh so he's beaten her catch we've had novak djokovic beating kasper rude 7-6-6-2 yesterday and actually uh, djokovic was a breakdown in that first set it was a quite a good tussle for for a while um and uh andre rublev then last night beat stefano sitsipas 6-4-6-4 gotta think that there's a chance that Cameron Norrie may end up coming in for Sitsipas. The way, I mean, Sitsipas d- didn't look right to me. No, no. And he was asked about it in his press conference and he said, I don't want to talk about that. Thank you. Which Elbow, isn't it? Elbow problem. And he said he's had this little issue for a couple of years that he's sort of been managing and it flared up in Paris. I don't see any way how just, you know, 10 days or so is going to have magically made that better. Uh, I still think he looked hampered. Uh, I thought Rublev was awesome, to be honest. I mean, his his biggest weakness is probably his second serve, Rublev. And he just eradicated that by not basically not hitting one throughout the entire match. His serving was ridiculous. His, I think he got 19 of his first 20 first serves in. And they were, you know, proper first serves. And he was able to rush Sitsipas. He was able to exploit the little weaknesses in Sitsipas's return and on that backhand. Yeah, I thought it was one of his best matches I've seen, actually, from Rublev, albeit against a, a hampered Tsitsipas. And then there was these there were these great quotes from Rublev afterwards about his, about his nap. Did you see this? No. He said in Russian, I think, that he'd fallen asleep before the match, and he was asked about it again in English. And he said, <laughs> very funny answer in his press conference. He said, yeah, my match was at 9pm, so during the day I had a lot of time and I, and I decided to sleep. Normally, I don't sleep during the day, but I put my alarm for 6 p.m. And when I woke up, it was dark. He said, I felt completely broken, like if someone wakes you up at 7 a.m. And he said, I feel strange. And normally I put my phone on to charge and they weren't charging. So I was thinking something strange. (laughs) He was completely dazed at 6 p.m. He said, I woke up 6 p.m. How is this possible? And then I realised, oh, I've fallen asleep during the day. I have a match in a couple of hours and I need to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, if Catherine were here, she would want us to point out naps work because Rublev played one of the best matches I think he's played all year after after being out of it just a couple of hours before he was even meant to step on court. Wow. It's very, imagine, very Rublev. Imagine, Matt. If this is the moment, this moment that Rublev has discovered naps, imagine if this is the moment that propels him to greatness as previously unforeseen. I know, we've been talking about he needs to develop a slice, he needs to come to the <laughs> net, actually he just needs a nap. <laughs> he's upped his napping game and he's become a multiple Grand Slam <laughs> champion and world number one. And he's left everybody in his wake. <laughs> 
reason, naps. Uh, right, okay, so today we've got Daniel Medvedev up against Alexander Zverev, and we've got Hubert Hercatch up against, we assume, Yannick Sinner, but it's supposed to be Matteo Berrettini as things stand. So we'll keep a, keep an eye on it all, and uh, and then, yeah, bring you up to date when we record our next show on Thursday morning. Uh, UK time. Uh, in the doubles, we've got Nikola Mektic beating Kevin, uh, Nikola Mektic and Mate Pavic beating uh, Kravitz and Takao, 6 4 6 4, just carrying on doing what they're doing. Uh, they're trying to win their 10th title of the season. Only the Bryan brothers have done that this century in men's doubles. I mean, they are a proper team and they just keep on bringing it, don't they? I mean, these fast conditions, I do think, make it very difficult to break serve. Uh, generally, you see a lot of these. I mean, still some fantastic rallies, though. I've I've really enjoyed some of the doubles that I've seen um, in that group as well. Uh, Marcel Grenoyes and Horacio Zabias. Oh dear, Philip <laughs> Poloshek and Ivan Dodig. The the big the big moment uh, of them trying to get back together, and uh, they led six four four one and had four match points and didn't win. That feels like the worst possible scenario for a team that's already fallen out to lose from that position. I mean, I think they only see each other on the match court in yeah, I mean, have, do they have one conversation between <laughs> that match ending and this next one beginning? <laughs> Not sure. No. Um, anyway, uh, so Grenoise and Zabias won. Uh, in the, the all kind of all British battle between uh, Joe Salisbury and his partner Rajiv Ram and uh, Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez. 6-1-7-6 and then it just says the word aggro. Mm, yeah, unexpected What happened? Aggro. I didn't see the aggro. There was a moment where Joe Salisbury thought that Hin- that a hindrance should have been called on Jamie Murray. In fact, it was aggro. It was between the two Brits. Oh, no, it's all um, good. I missed this. I, I was... I was uh, I was picking up a new windscreen wiper at the time, Matt. So let me know all about it. Thrilling. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about Halfords the other day we were, we, were, with were. Catherine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there I was, uh, and I missed the best bit. Go on. Basically, Jamie Murray hit what he thought was a winner and sort of shouted, come on. And sort of just as he shouted it, Salisbury got a racket on the ball. And he thought that that should have been a hindrance call, but the umpire wasn't having any of it and said, no, it's not a hindrance. You wouldn't have got the ball back anyway. Carry on. But he was he was pretty annoyed for a little bit there, Joe Salisbury. And yeah, it was it was Jamie Murray's call that had that had caused the little friction. Did, did Jamie blank him or, or, or was there any sort of... I think they were okay, there? you know. I think they were okay because Salisbury ended up winning. I think if Salisbury had lost and he hadn't had this call go his way, I think he probably would have been more vexed about it but mm. sadly on the aggro front it it died down oh, oh well something <laughs> uh, and in the final group match there was uh, pierre ugabert and nicola mahou beating uh cabal and farah seven six six four so that's your doubles update from the atb finals now we should also update you on the news we were discussing a couple of days ago and the story written about Peng Shui of China, who uh, you may remember that really disturbing report uh, with the allegations that she had made and the fact that she'd suddenly become censored and there was concern, frankly, about her whereabouts. Um, well, later that day, 
Uh, a statement was released by Steve Simon, the WTA chairman and CEO in relation to, to Peng Shui, and this is what it said. The recent events in China concerning a WTA player, Peng Shui, are of deep concern. As an organization dedicated to women, we remain committed to the principles we were founded on, equality, opportunity, and respect. Peng Shui and all women deserve to be heard, not censored. Her accusation about the conduct of a former Chinese leader involving a sexual assault must be treated with the utmost seriousness. In all societies, the behaviour she alleges that took place needs to be investigated, not condoned or ignored. We commend Peng Shui for her remarkable courage and strength in coming forward. Women around the world are finding their voices so injustices can be corrected. We expect this issue to be handled properly, meaning the allegations must be investigated fully, fairly, transparently and without censorship. Our absolute and unwavering priority is the health and safety of our players. We are speaking out so that justice can be done. That was then followed by a statement from Andrea Gaudenzi, the ATP's chairman, basically backing up what uh, the WTA uh, chairman and CEO Steve Simon had said. But actually, Steve Simon went further in an interview with Chris Clary in the New York Times. Uh, this was really, really quite something. And also, happily, some news on the whereabouts of Peng Shui, although we, we remain concerned to some degree, I have to say. But listen, this is what uh, Chris Clary reported and what Steve Simon said to him. We've received confirmation from several sources, including the Chinese Tennis Association, that she is safe and not under any physical threat. But he, he said that nobody associated with the WTA Tour, including officials and active players, and Peng Shui would know many active players, nobody had been able to reach her directly to confirm her status. My understanding, Steve Simon said, is that she is in Beijing in China, but I can't confirm that because I haven't spoken directly with her. He said the tour was prepared to return to China next year, but the tour has had to survive without China over these last two seasons, and he acknowledged that Peng's case had created not just concern, but uncertainty. If at the end of the day we don't see the appropriate results from this, we would be prepared to take that step and not, not operate our business in China if that's what it came to. Now, first of all, Matt, I'm obviously pleased and... I don't want to say reassured about Peng Shui just because of the, of the nature of the fact that they haven't been able to speak to her directly. I'm pleased that he's saying that she is safe and well. Let's hope that's the case. But there does re remain concern because we, who knows whether whether those sources are accurate and, and reliable. Um, but, you know, we, we'll, we'll hope for the best on that. On the subject of, of doing business in China, the WTA are so involved and the, the relationship is, is ingrained supposedly for the next, well, eight more years with Shenzhen for the WTA finals. That's where they're supposed to be playing this event right now that they're playing in Guadalajara. Obviously, the, the pandemic has got in the way of that. They played one year of it and the prize money was, was a record amount. It was $14 million prize fund for the, for the, for the event. Ash Barty took home $4.4 million in, the, in that event. That, that was viewed as, a, as an enormous moment for, 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 for women's sports, for, for the game, for the fact that, that women were basically out-earning the men because the WTA finals was, was worth more at that time than the ATP finals. 
Um, in Guadalajara, the entire singles prize pot for the for all eight players is worth less than Ashbarty took home two years ago. It's four million for the whole field, and the winner will take home one point six million rather than four and a half million. So th- there's a massive difference, and obviously we are a hugely um, positive and and optimistic because we're seeing these great crowds. But business wise, this is a very different scenario. Um, I mean, I d- I don't know what to to think about. The, what the sport should do completely because that that the money is a factor but i i would certainly rather than follow the crowds generally i think i think players those top eight players would probably be prepared to earn less in order to get a great crowd how much less i don't know but big moment for the the tour's boss to, to stand up and and and, and absolutely a hundred percent agree with him on taking this stand and saying and coming out and saying we're not standing for this the the this is there's a, he actually said in an interview I heard on Prime Video, there's only one way, and that's the right way to handle this. Mm, I was really impressed with that statement, considering the ties. You know, it's 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 the WTA Finals for the next eight years. There's also, I think, more tour events in China than in any other country on the WTA. Their ties to that country are are so strong, um, and obviously money is important and and it talks you know we celebrated the fact two two years ago that ash barty was was getting that much money that the prize money was so big as as billy jean king says the money is the message that is that is important but is it as important as doing the right thing i don't think so and look i agree with you i think if if there were big concerns about holding events in china especially at the moment and if that means getting out of there and following the crowds, going to somewhere like Guadalajara, I would support that. And I think, you know, I think John Wertheim made the point in his his column that they might take a sort of short-term hit, but long-term that will be really strong for the WTA. That will send a really good message that they're doing the right thing and that they've got backbone as an organisation. Mm-hmm. And also the the landscape is different to what it was 2 years ago mm-hmm. the when Turin was announced as the next venue for the ATP finals in April 2019 they were showing off about the fact that they were going to get 14 and a half million dollars uh, which was half a million more than the women's tennis association finals were were going to get and and in 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 actual fact they've got half of that for this particular edition we all understand why the 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 world and the economy has suffered and tennis has been part of that suffering um but you know the days maybe of earning those sort of amounts from these events maybe are over or at least off the off the agenda for a while so yeah i think this is a this is a significant moment um, and again, let's just hope Peng Shui is okay and that um, absolutely an investigation can take place and, and she can be heard. Now, just a couple of final points before we uh, finish for another edition of the Tennis Podcast. Judy Murray's been in touch with us and uh, she has asked this morning if I could just let you all know about the Love All auction that uh, is currently taking place for charity and 
I, I mean, frankly, if Judy Murray comes calling, we listen because we think she's she's marvellous anyway and just about every way in all she does for the sport and has done. Um, but this auction that she has put together is incredible. They've they've got 130 uh, lots of tennis memorabilia and VIP experiences, and, and these are the sort of things that they've got going on. Tickets and behind-the-scenes tours at Wimbledon, Queens, Edgebaston and Eastbourne. There are tennis lessons with the great doubles coach Louis Caillé and with Judy herself and with Anki Othavong. They've got two night stays at Andy Murray's Cromlicks Hotel. They've got a Zoom call with Billie Jean King. They've got signed rackets and kit from Naomi Osaka, Emma Raducanu, Leighton Hewitt, Andy Murray, Jamie Murray, Belinda Bencic, Coco Goff. They've got some great artwork that's been specially created for the auction. Um, so it really is something else this this auction if you if you like that kind of thing if you want to have a great experience or or some some memorabilia some merchandise that you couldn't possibly get anywhere else go to loveallauction.com so that's uh, that's Judy's uh, auction and um we have our executive producer Chris Albert Lee very much a top bloke we've got Billie Jean King sponsoring Billie Jean the dog we've got Zeus Catherine's sponsor the lovely dog we've got rogue who's mine we've got scousel mousel who's matt's scousel mousel very proud of matt at the moment uh, and we've got a shout out matt we do for lucy carrington all right lucy the carringtons they used to be uh, a family in dynasty the uh, the american soap opera uh, where blake carrington was the lead character i wonder whether i wonder whether linda knows anything about that <laughs> well i don't <laughs> well of course you know because it took place at least 10 years before you were born matt but there were some amazing hairstyles and people wore shoulder pads inside their dresses there you go matt youtube's the place for you find out all about that <laughs> um and uh we've also got a mascot for this week and i'm looking at a picture of this cat's beautiful eyes lyra nearly two years old was a rescue owned by Emma. Lyra, Emma, thank you so much for being our mascot for the week. Yes, and those eyes will be visible in the newsletter this week. We'll have a bit more information about Lyra and one of those gorgeous pictures. Magnificent. Right then, okay, well we've we've got to go and watch some tennis because it's a bad start again. Um, and uh, yeah, hope you get a chance to watch uh, plenty of it too. Hope we've whetted your appetite for what's to come. We'll be back in a couple of days' time with another edition of the Tennis Podcast. Do tell your friends if you think somebody you know might like to listen. Um, and yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market